I have experience in a variety of sports. Uh, uh-huh. I played soccer my whole life. Uh, I've been climbing for, I guess, six to eight years now, mm-hmm. um, getting into golf. Um, but I think the big thing is with any like uh, uh, sport or athlete mm-hmm. that you're trying to rehab is just understanding the movement that they have to go through. And the best way to do that is to try it out. So mm-hmm. um, having experience is nice, but as long mm-hmm. as you can kind of understand what type of demand that uh, that activity has on their body, you can uh, pretty much come up with a way to at least help them a little bit if you don't have too much experience, mm-hmm. but it's always nice to have someone with some experience to give it a little bit more uh, firsthand input or expertise in. Mm-hmm. This is PT Meal Podcast, where we ingest and digest physical therapy information from physical therapists around the world with a Filipino twist. With your host, Johan De La Paz, a Filipino physical therapist who has worked in different practice settings from the Philippines and here in the U.S. Let's indulge and satisfy our cravings to learn and be inspired. Hey, welcome back to PT Meal Podcast, a buffet of play therapies. Movement, exercises, activities, and leisure all pack in a hearty conversation of, uh, of physical therapy profession and practice with a Filipino flavor. I am Johan De La Paz, your host. So uh, before we start, this uh, podcast is available on your favorite podcast streaming apps in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. You can also watch most of the uh, full episodes and live streams on YouTube. If you want to stay updated on fresh episodes, interview snippets, research abstracts, or uh, educational materials. Follow the podcast's uh, social media accounts in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. All links and content are also available in the, the website, ptmealpodcast.com. So now uh, let's go on with the show. Uh, in today's episode, we are joined by Oliver Rivera, a senior physical therapist in Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. He's a board-certified clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy and a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. In today's conversation, we are going to talk about rehab of rock climbers from a physical therapist who's, who's also, who also rock climbs. So neat, right? So welcome to the podcast, Oliver, and I'm glad to have you here at last. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So I, I've, uh, as I've mentioned before, um, uh, I knew about you uh, reading about an article that was uh, published in APTA magazine last 2020, it, and it's entitled uh, "It's Lovely at the Top." And back in 2020, I was starting the podcast, and one of the thrusts of the podcast is to share um, niche practice or uh, population that physical therapists can go into, uh, or you know, to go into and, and excel or thrive in. And reading about that I was like, wow, this is so interesting because um, I have friends who are into climbing, wall climbing, rock climbing, um, bouldering, and stuff. It's like this is so uh, this is so apt because I have friends like that, and me as a physical therapist friend of theirs, they would ask me about you know certain injuries that they uh, uh, incur, but. Uh, I can't relate to them because it's there's a you know difference in you know I'm not familiar with what they're saying and in what you know what their uh, the requirements of rock climbing. So this was really interesting for me uh, reading about uh, about it in the article. But before we really dive in, um, could we start with um, how you um, how you became a physical therapist? Uh, 
what made you uh, decide to become a physical therapist first? Absolutely. Um, so we'll go back to, uh, I guess, in high school when uh, we're you're trying to figure out what you want to major in when you're an undergrad. And as a 18-year-old kid, I had really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And I was good at chemistry, so I decided to major in chemistry. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the goal of uh, being a pharmacist, because I had a couple aunts and cousins that were pharmacists. I'm like, sure, that sounds like something that can make me a decent amount of money and not cause too much stress uh, long term. Uh-huh. And then uh, in undergrad, I was a terrible student because I was taking all these chem classes. I take up to Calc 3, realized I hated it all. And then when I finally like shadowed uh, my cousin, my aunt and saw a couple other pharmacists, I like, realized this would be the the most mind-numbing terrible job in the world no offense to any pharmacists out there but (laughs) I just knew it wouldn't be for me at all um so didn't do too well in undergrad until I kind of decided to shift towards uh, physical therapy Mm -hmm. uh I was a high school athlete got hurt plenty of times been to PT and I'm like I could probably uh do this it seems like a good uh gig for the long-term future Mm -hmm. and then finally going to get some observation hours and seeing what they do. It just seemed like a perfect match where I could still be in healthcare. I still wanted to help people. So I could do uh, go down that Avenue, but get to do things that I was more interested, like being active, helping people move and exercise. Um, that was way more appealing to me. And then you also get that personal one-on-one interaction with pa- with a patient that a lot of healthcare providers don't get in their fields. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I decided to take all the prereqs for physical therapy school, uh, I had a low GPA, so I had to uh, retake a lot of classes to try to bump that up. And I think I barely made it out of undergrad with a 3.0. Um, so that took a lot of hard work, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough. So I uh, decided to take a gap year, worked as a physical therapy aide for one of the big chain outpatient clinics. Um, which is a really good experience for me because I got uh, a lot of experience in multitasking with many different patients at once, which I probably wasn't supposed to do, um, but was able to communicate well, got experience with uh, directing people and exercise and giving good cues and all that before even becoming a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it took me two rounds to get into school. And mm-hmm. again, it was just because of that low GPA. Mm-hmm. But uh, I finally got in in 2014 and went to Toro University, Nevada. And it was there that uh, I got surrounded by rock climbers. So I'm from Chicago and uh, there's not a lot of uh, mountains or boulders or anything else to climb out here. Right. Uh, you have to go either two hours north to Wisconsin or uh, four or five hours south of southern Illinois. But uh, most of my classmates were from either Nevada, California. Uh, Utah, and they all had a lot of outdoor recreational experience. Right. Um, so one classmate in particular I sat next to every day, uh, he's from Washington, and he always was asking if I wanted to go to Red Rock to climb with him. And I had zero experience, but finally gave him one day said, yeah, let's do it. And then immediately fell in love with rock climbing. So from there, having uh outdoor climbing 20 minutes away from my school as well mm-hmm. as an indoor gym uh being five minutes away um kind of uh just pushed me into falling in love with uh rock climbing gotcha um but yeah from there uh i knew i just wanted to go to outpatient orthopedics so uh set up a lot of my 
clinical rotations uh, in outpatient orthopedics. Um, one of my CIs who's probably the biggest influence on me was uh, orthopedic certified specialist. He had his OCS, he did a residency program and it was him plus one of my professors that really pushed me into wanting to do a residency. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, I applied and got in and went to the University of Illinois Chicago and completed their orthopedic residency program. Mm-hmm. And in that uh, curriculum, we have to do a capstone project. So I did a quick lit review. There, were, there was some research out there on rock climbers, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided to do this full, uh, uh, I guess it was an observational study. Uh, where I assessed a bunch of rock climbers, I think at a sample size of a hundred, looked wow. at that's uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, five to ten different variables, and and try to run my own data analysis and realize how uh, in over my head I was <laughs> during that whole project. Um, but luckily, I had some help along the way, and finally uh, had something tangible to submit for a conference, and found uh, uh, basically no. Um, correlations with kind of my hypothesis there but that's where it kind of really pushed me to again dive into rock climbing a little bit more and then dive into the research world as well uh-huh. oh nice what what did you find out in your in your capsule project yeah so I, um, I am uh uh very interested in return to sport and injury prediction so we know a lot about um Uh, ACL is probably the big one out there in terms of injury prediction. And uh, we mostly know that most uh, injury predictors aren't that good in terms of letting us know if someone's going to get injured or not. Mm -hmm. But I was curious to see if there's anything out there with rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really when I looked uh, my deliberate review. So I decided to do a study to see if there were any injury predictors uh, for recreational rock climbers uh, in the wrist and hand. So, mm-hmm. you know, I took a uh, hundred rock climbers uh, out of my local climbing gym that I climbed at. Uh, it's I amazing. Measured... 100, 100 yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> I couldn't believe I got that many and how I got that many. I didn't, it was, it was a blur of a couple months, but uh, I got grip strength, uh, wrist flexion, wrist extension strength, mm-hmm. uh, finger length, finger width, uh, ape index, which is your wingspan to height. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gave a subjective questionnaire to see what their uh, level of climbing, their capability, uh, um, their frequency, what type of climbing they did, and then uh, their injury history to see what types of injuries they've had. Uh And then we ran a whole statistical analysis and found that the only things that correlated with injury were uh, climbing experience. So how long you've been climbing for as well as climbing difficulty. Mm -hmm. Basically, you climbed uh, for a long time, you probably had a wrist or uh, hand injury. And then if you were climbing uh, pretty good tough routes or hard routes, you had uh, uh, most likely a wrist or hand injury. Mm-hmm. So nothing too substantial that was predictive besides being exposed to rock climbing for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So these are recreational climbers, not competitive climbers. No, no, no. Yes. They're just recreational climbers right now. Oh, that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, so I, I read in your, in, in the article that, when uh, your colleagues would, uh, what do you call this, would refer uh, rock climbers or patients that are, you know, rock climbers to, to you, do they know that you're rock climbing? That's why they, they uh, refer patients to you? Yeah, I guess I'm pretty like uh, vocal on the things that I like to treat. And uh-huh. in our clinic, we all know like what each person likes. So uh-huh. 
I think kind of word just gets around um, and uh, we have a good idea of what each uh, therapist in our uh, clinic treats. Uh-huh. But the big thing what kind of spread for me was like word of mouth between patients because mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago, oh, there's, only, okay. there's only like three or four gyms and each of those gyms has a couple locations. So if you treat uh-huh. one, they'll tell their friends and then to see um, you <laughs> all of a sudden. Exactly. All of a sudden you're seeing a couple of them. So uh-huh. that's how it kind of worked out for me. Uh-huh. But, but in truth, you're not really like just seeing rock climbers. You're not there no. just to see rock climbers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have experience in a variety of sports. So uh-huh. I've played soccer my whole life. Uh, I've been climbing for, I guess, six to eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into golf. Um, but I think the big thing is with any like uh, uh, sport or athlete mm-hmm. that you're trying to rehab is just understanding the movement that they have to go through. And the best way to do that is to try it out. So mm-hmm. um, having experience is nice, but as long mm-hmm. as you can kind of understand what type of demand that uh, that activity has on their body, you can uh, pretty much come up with a way to at least help them a little bit if you don't have too much experience. Mm-hmm. But it's always nice to have someone with some experience to give it a little bit more uh, firsthand input or expertise in. Mm-hmm. Plus you, but plus you, you understand their jargons, whatever, you know, exactly you're saying, um, aside from that, what are the advantages of treating rock climbers being as a, being a rock climber as well? Yeah. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head that, uh, knowing the jargon mm-hmm. in one of the studies that I am currently writing on the manuscript for that, uh, uh, project, uh, for that research study. And one of those studies lists cited that I think it was over half of uh, recreational rock climbers that get injured don't seek medical treatment because they feel that their healthcare provider doesn't know about rock climbing. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big number right there. Mm-hmm. And I know like uh, severity of the injury may play a factor if they think they're going to be fine without seeing anybody, but still that uh, a distrust almost in your healthcare provider is a reason to not go see them. That's a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. So I think when you find someone that, uh, or when a patient finds someone that they know at least has some experience, that's the person that you want to go to. Like if you're a musician and you saw a PT that specializes in musicians, like that's the person that you want to go to. Right. So I think for me, knowing that lingo, knowing kind of the demand that they have to go through, that it's just not all arms, it's how you use your legs, it's how you can control your center of mass along a wall, mm-hmm. what a dyno actually feels like uh, when you're jumping With from what? one whole, like a, a dynamic move, they call them dinos. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about dinosaur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but just, yeah, that's the specific fear mm-hmm. and kind of that, uh, uh, mental challenge that you have to overcome with it. I think it's, it helps. And I think that's why the majority of people that rock climb like, kind of seek me out that, that I've treated mm-hmm. just because of that, uh, familiarity with what they have to do. Right. I think it's like what you said, like if, if a musician or, or a dancer would, uh, be injured and would seek someone who understands what they're doing, uh, mm-hmm. musician or a dancer as well similar to people who lift they would seek someone who knows how to lift as well so uh same same thing when you're when you're seeing rock climbers and their injuries what what are the common ones that you usually see from uh from rock climbers yeah so 
Um, typically, uh, it's like the big ones, obviously, like a pulley tear. So when someone tears one of the pulleys that's holding down their flexor tendons and their fingers, oh, okay. um, that's probably the, the biggest injury that uh, is associated with rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, those are always tough because if it's fully ruptured, like there's not much you can do in terms of rehab um, besides strengthening everything, everything else around it um, mm-hmm. and then kind of managing pain. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you can see like TFCC tears at the wrist. You can see, uh, uh, flexor or extensor tendinopathies at the elbow. Um, there could be neck pain associated with, uh, constantly having to look up at your next route or having to belay someone, um, mm-hmm. just watching them move. Uh, there can be rotator cuff strains, uh, ankle sprains from falling, um, my last one was actually an ACL tear when she fell from a boulder, boulder oh, wow. problem. So I was rehabbing her trying to get back, uh-huh. uh, back to climbing. Um, so I think it's a wide variety just because of the nature of the sport that it's not just using your hands, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of the falls that you take. Mm-hmm. Is it, but it, is it mostly the upper extremities that they, that I, they commonly injure? Yeah, I think that's probably, uh, in climbing as a whole. It's the upper extremity that's injured the most in mm-hmm. bouldering because you're landing on a hard surface that mm-hmm. you can see a lot more knee and ankle uh, injuries. Mm-hmm. For, for the one that you said, like uh, the rupture of the extensor, do they have to go sur- uh, undergo surgery to repair that? I think if they, it just depends on the severity of it. So if that uh, flexor tendon is fully bowstringing and that affects kind of their grip, that may mm-hmm. be an option, but mm-hmm. uh I couldn't tell you the prognosis of that off the top of my head because mm-hmm. I've, I've never specifically dealt with uh, that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been typically just seeing like minor strains of it, but I've never uh, treated someone that has like that full rupture of that flexor or that pulley. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So as a rock climber yourself, uh, are there, have you encountered any, um, you know, mistakes or uh, old beliefs of rock climbers in their training that, could be harmful though, though we said that there's no you know predictive um <laughs> uh factors that would say that you're going to be injured in this but are there anything that um rock climbers do that can possibly lead to an injury in their training um, it would probably be uh volume management mm-hmm. like most climbers like like your recreational climber, they're just doing it to have fun. So uh-huh. if they're going out every day to the climbing gym or to your local crag uh, with their buddies and not really realizing how much strain they're putting on their body, that's where those overuse injuries come in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of recognizing when your body's telling you that you need a rest day or, or uh, two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing. Now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like myths out there in terms of uh, like you always need to train your uh, wrist extensors and finger extensors to help combat how much uh, flexion you're always going into. Oh. I don't necessarily buy into that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, uh, the natural position of the wrist, you're already in wrist extension. So those wrist extensors will probably be amp- ample strongs. And I think mm-hmm. most injuries occur more due to overuse versus, um, someone having uh, significantly, uh, uh, more strong, uh, wrist flexors and finger flexors versus the extensors. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my two cents on that. Mm-hmm. So is it like when you train, when, when rock climbers train, do, ha- do they have to focus 
more on their uppers in general than lowers or everything? it's kind of the whole <laughs> it's kind of everything because uh-huh. again it's going back to just watching how they move and the most common thing is someone can't uh doesn't know how to stabilize their scapula because then that affects how much load goes through their fingers their finger flexors and that affects how well can they stabilize their wrists uh-huh. and then if they're they can't stabilize their scapula. Does that, does that mean they have a, a weak core and they don't know how to control uh, their trunk and that affects how they move their lower body. So mm-hmm. that might add strain to the knee or the ankle. So it's kind of tough to generalize it just to one region. That's hard. And I think that's like the key to any sport is you have to watch the whole package mm-hmm. uh, versus just like a pitcher, like focusing on their elbow or shoulder where really now we know with pitchers that, it's really how the whole lower chain works through that throwing motion. That's the most important. Mm-hmm. Is it in training? Is it more um, doing a specific activity more often or uh, doing different activities, like not just rock climbing, but other sports as well? Um, I mean, I think most athletes that specialize in one sport whether professionally or recreationally mm-hmm. always benefit from some type of cross training mm-hmm. from another activity. So like runners doing lateral work or um, like climbers doing like uh, strength and power work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd probably say, what was your question again? Sorry. I kind of lost track there. <laughs> Is it uh, for, for, for training it, uh, is it more beneficial to do specific um, training that is involved in rock climbing or is it more beneficial to mix it up uh, to not just uh, tasks that are involved in rock climbing, but also engage in other sports? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it always depends on um, what that kind of crux move is. Mm-hmm. So what that hardest move Mm-hmm. Uh, of where you're kind of plateaued out there so if uh it's just like uh like a core strength problem that you feel yourself not able to control your center of mass on the wall and you're flinging off a wall uh-huh. it could just be you need to do some more um um core strengthening whether it is planks or different types of uh plank walks or you're actually on the wall just working on um keeping that uh, trunk and center mass close to the wall. Uh-huh. Um, but if it is like a specific hold, like you can't hold on to a razor thin, uh, crimp, uh-huh. you might just need to practice holding on to razor thin crimps, uh, for a mm-hmm. while before you're able to tolerate that. Mm-hmm. So kind of really just depends on what is that barrier to you breaking through that to that, uh, next level of, uh, climbing difficulty, that next grade or to that project that you're working on. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I I see my my friends or uh, climbers, they would practice on this um, I don't know on the wall. They just they're just holding onto with their fingers and just yeah the hangboard. <laughs> yep, as long as they can. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's like another method there to mm-hmm. work on that grip strength. So uh-huh. yeah, it really just kind of depends if uh, like what that barrier is to mm-hmm. uh, whatever problem or uh, mm-hmm. uh, grade you're working on. And someone would would know that once they start uh, mm-hmm. doing uh, or rock climbing, they they would notice. Oh, this is this is where I'm bad at. This is so. This is should. This is where should I should 
uh, work on. Yeah, absolutely. Have you encountered any like uh, beginners uh, who just started in rock climbing that are encountering um, injuries? What what do you, do you, do they usually complain about? Uh, kind of those overuse injuries overuse. where it's yeah, it's just they kind of uh, fall in love with it and just go every day, like I said, and uh-huh. um, like for those easier grades, like for bouldering, like those V one through threes. Uh, you can get, get away with doing, uh, with climbing every day because there tend to be easier routes, just learning how to like kind of move your body on the wall. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting up to like a V five, six range, um, and you get a lot more, uh, demanding moves, whether it's a small hold, like a, a higher step, a smaller, uh, foothold to go onto, it just mm-hmm. takes a lot more demand from the body. And that's where you start to see some bigger injuries but for the most part for those beginners yeah it's a lot of just overuse injuries mm-hmm. where they're tearing some skin off they <laughs> oh, have some yeah they uh have some sore like forearm extensors uh-huh. and flexors sore fingers um or like a sore shoulder just because they're using all their arms not using their legs enough so i think mm-hmm. that's kind of the biggest thing with uh new climbers mm-hmm. that's why i stress you just have to learn technique that's the biggest thing to do yeah. it well And then for those overused injuries, it's just knowing your your natural history, right? Like tell them to rest and active rest and stuff like that. Yeah, for the yeah. most part, it's just, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if something's more serious, then they oh. may need a little bit more formal evaluation and right. treatment. But for the most part, with those overuse injuries, it's just kind of taking a couple of rest days. Because <laughs> because I, I think if like if they like the the sport so much and they're They they're afraid that if you know they injure something that they that you might say oh you have to totally stop it <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. continue it yeah I think in my point of view like uh, I never want to tell an athlete to stop mm-hmm. um, it's like a runner if you tell a runner who runs 50 miles a week uh, because they have shin splints or ankle pain to stop running. They're not going to stop running. There's like a 99% chance that they'll keep on running and a 1% chance that they'll actually stop. So mm-hmm. it's all about educating the person on why that in- injury is occurring and giving them different options on how to modify that task, uh, mm-hmm. whether it is volume management, whether it is some type of mechanical change you're making to the gait or something else, uh, trying to strengthen or stretch something that may be affecting uh, how they run and that pain, or in this case, how they climb. So mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, for the most part, having them rest a little bit, but still giving them some encouragement that you can still climb. It's just, how does your body respond to this? And it'll mm-hmm. naturally tell you if you need to kind of give yourself rest or if you need, uh, I guess, a more formal uh, plan of care in terms of rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a rock climber yourself, do you also provide some input on how they should train when you see them as, uh, as your patient? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I get that all the time where asking me, I guess, um, what grade they should climb at for that week, what types of routes to try and what to avoid in mm-hmm. terms of different moves that they have to do. So yeah, it's kind of all climber dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about my uh, last one that I treated my ACL uh, reconstruction, um, like her big deficit was Um, any high steps on that involved side because she uh, 
still didn't have end range knee flexion. So when you do a high step, you have to move your weight over it. And that's all that pressure on that knee in a flex position. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, that's what we were trying to kind of ease our way into, um, Mm -hmm. is practicing that move from not so high of a step. If, uh, she can avoid it on a route. And if there was one kind of just forget that route, but also working on that specific task, like having her do a high step on like a box and then gradually moving her weight over to mm-hmm. kind of help change that tissue to uh, help her tolerate that move. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you explained that uh, really illustrates the, the advantage of knowing what the sport is so that you know how to progress the, the, the patient in, in, in their task and their exercises and activities. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of, I lucked out that I tried a bunch of different sports as a kid mm-hmm. and as an adult, because I get to see a lot of different athletes, uh, in my clinic, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it keeps it interesting and fun. Keeps uh-huh. me thinking. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier, like bouldering, rock climbing or wall climbing as well for someone who's starting to to like the sport which one should they start first or try it out first oh that's tough because uh-huh. i'm personally afraid of heights uh-huh. and that's that's why i get, went into rock climbing to help face my fears uh-huh. that didn't help i'm still afraid of heights <laughs> um but i was just more drawn to bouldering so mm-hmm. i felt like it was a little bit less technical, a little more athletic. You can get away with less technique and be a little bit, uh, make up for it with a little bit of uh, power and explosiveness. Um, so that's what I was drawn to, but mm-hmm. really it's just whatever gets you uh, like on a wall or on a uh, rock. That's surprising. Um, Cause I'm, when I, when I watch my friends, uh, when they're, when they, when we go, when they go bouldering and, and everyone's like doing, <laughs> trying to catch, the other person I was like, and, and you're going to fall on this mat with uneven surface. I was like, that's so dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the mat's not soft either. Uh-huh. Those pads uh-huh. aren't soft. They're pretty uh-huh. firm. So like, um, that's scary. I mean, that's scary for me. I'm scared for them, but they were like, I don't know. They, they can fall on their feet. They can fall on their hands and they know how to fall. <laughs> Exactly. And that's one of the things I taught my last patient who was going through an ACL tear is that when you fall, like you have to know how to do it. So uh-huh. that's one of the big things that most, I guess, new boulders have to learn is how to properly fall. Mm-hmm. Fall um, like a cat. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then roll onto your butt. because Yeah. You don't want to land on your feet like a, I guess the superhero landing. That's uh, not a good thing for your legs. Um, so in, in treating uh rock climbers what do you, what intervention do you usually um use you mentioned an important integ- or integral part of the treatment is patient education but other than that what other techniques mm-hmm. do you uh personally use when you see rock climbers in general yeah um i think uh my background uh especially after i did my fellowship program is uh kind of Maitland based. So, um, it's a lot of finding, uh, a functional movement. Uh, so for rock climbers, seeing what actually causes them, uh, the problem, whether it's pain or some type of limitation, and then trying to change that functional movement and then seeing if that makes a difference. And then from there kind of taking, carrying that forward with my exam and then basing intervention on that. So, 
um, it's tough to say like, what's the one thing. And, mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes I'll go manual therapy with joint mobilizations mm -hmm. or manipulation. Other times, um, it's neuro rehab or other times it's just, uh, you're weak and you need to get stronger or you need to stretch something. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it's really just that functional assessment and mm -hmm. then, um, trying to, uh, add, uh, different things during that task to see what can change. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if someone has like shoulder pain when they're on the wall, um, that is kind of the back of their shoulder blade, you got to figure out, is that truly like, uh, a rotator problem? Is it a scap problem? Is it coming from the neck? Um, so if I'm seeing them kind of hang from a pull-up bar and uh, replicating uh, some move that bothers them with climbing, having them move their neck around to see if that changes their symptoms, adding a little bit of uh, support to their scapula to see if that changes their symptoms, um, trying to change uh, uh, some type of activation with the rotator cuff to see if that changes their symptoms. So I would say like technique wise, there isn't really one thing. It's really just kind of my clinical assessment. That is like the key piece of how I treat, mm -hmm. uh, rock, not only rock climbers, but all of my patients. Mm -hmm. And when you said, uh, functional assessment, you ask them to do this, the thing that triggers. Yeah. The pain. My basic question is what's the worst thing you can do right now to, to light this thing up, whether uh -huh. it's, uh, bending forward, doing a squat, um, doing a push up. Mm -hmm. uh, hanging from a hangboard mm -hmm. or landing or jumping off a box and landing. So it just kind of depends on what brings them into me and what they think is going to be the thing that's worse for their pain. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a, a wall in, in, in your clinic where you can <laughs> ask, okay, show me where, where the, the move that <laughs> makes it worse or not. We have a, a pull-up bar. We have some rock rings. I don't have a hangboard in there yet, but yeah, we have some stuff that uh, uh, that helps uh, recreate some of those scenarios. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing if you're like really specific. Okay, show me what what move you <laughs> trigger. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we try, we make do with what we can. I have them describe it to me, and then uh, it really tests the the creativity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that we have. Okay. Um, do you also uh, provide your patients with how they can really go back to specifically to sport, or do you leave that to their coaches or trainers? Um, I mean, I think about it like I do, like help guide them on the full return to sport. Uh -huh. Um. So we have a different battery of tests that we have for, mm -hmm. uh, different, uh, athletes. So, uh, like I have a whole lower extremity, uh, return to sport assessment. I have a thrower, non, uh, a thrower, uh, return to sport assessment and a non-thrower upper extremity return to sport assessment. So whether they go through the full gambit or I take pieces of that, mm -hmm. um, uh, we take those different aspects of those tests into consideration as well as, um, making sure that they, uh, able to do any of the tasks that may be uh demanded or asked of them during uh the sport such as rock climbing uh in consideration before we kind of clear them mm. so for example for my last uh patient who was coming back from the acl tear uh, i went with her to the climbing gym oh. and watched her climb uh different grades where that were in her capability and mm -hmm. then tested her on her does she know how to fall um how does she tolerate that high step that she had so much difficulty with? Like, mm -hmm. How's her footwork? How's her core control? 
when she has to do a far reach, uh, whether it's the foot or the arm. So, um, yeah, it's a, oh, I'm a full service clinician yeah, from uh, <laughs> initial post-op to return to sport. Right, right. You even went to her gym. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's something that not many physical therapists would do. Like if you're not really like a team physical therapist, you know, you, you just see your athletes in, in the, the clinic, the, uh, the clinical setting, but that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your opinion on, on kids starting specifically on one sport, like, like here in, in rock climbing? I think, uh, in general, especially now that I have uh, a son, a 14-month-old right now, like I think introducing to introducing them to sport at any age uh, is great. But I mean, the younger that they can be introduced to that sport, um, the better that they're going to be able to perform it as they get older. So thinking about myself, I wish I got into climbing when I was like 10 or 5 because, I mean, as a kid, there's a lot less fear. Uh, moves become a little bit more natural and, uh, it just becomes, uh, yeah, a little more, uh, uh, what do you want to say? I guess, yeah, natural is the word for Mm -hmm. it for you. But on the flip side of that, um, I think like most of the literature states, I am not a proponent of one sport specialization, especially if it's year round. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with kids, if we're thinking about kind of uh, their skeletal maturity and the demands that one sport would have, especially if they're doing it year round, um, that's just going to be, uh, it's not going to put them in a good spot to succeed in that sport long term. So, mm-hmm. I mean, thinking about it today, like I am seeing one baseball player who's 12 who has little league shoulders, so that uh, growth plate is kind of gapped right now is how much they've thrown uh uh to try to get a a faster pitching speed so um overall i think introducing sports to kids at an early age is great but you have to be uh smart about how much they do it's like an adult with an overuse injury like i think i said earlier that volume is the key thing there and it's the same thing with uh, not only our uh, adult athletes, but also our adolescent and pediatric athletes. So um, I think varying it up is probably the best way to go. All right. Yeah. Because uh, I have um, my friends are rock climbers and their kid is now competing in um, rock climbing as well and getting, uh, uh, what do you call this, awarded for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, when she was when she was young, she would see her parents rock climbing, bouldering, and stuff, and and she began to like it as well. But growing up, she was playing other sports as well. She was playing um, like I don't know the the Ninja Academy. She was doing that. She mm. was also doing basketball. She was she was really a sporty kid. And now I think now that she's more focused on climbing, that's you know that's more on uh, that's where she's focusing her more of her time, but she still plays other sports on the side as uh, as his recreation, just for fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the end of the day, as long as they're having fun doing it, that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Right. Um, you never want to push, push them so much uh, that that love is kind of lost and gone because um, that's kind of like their whole 
thing is one sport. So mm-hmm. as long as uh, they're having fun and enjoying it, I mean, yeah, that's all really that matters. Right. So um, you mentioned uh, in our email exchange that you expanded to, to more sports now, not just rock climbers as well. So how did, uh, how, how is that? Um, how's the transition on seeing more patients in, in different sports and what played a big part on on that? Um, I think uh, sport has been one of the was one of the big drivers of me getting into physical therapy. So I always knew I wanted to treat athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I knew I never wanted to be a team physical therapist because uh-huh. the hours sound terrible. <laughs> um, but some people but, like it. <laughs> uh, Exactly. But not, not for me, especially not at this point in my life. I think my uh, wife would kill me if I was gone for, I guess, half the year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it kind of goes back to, I talked about what I learned in fellowship is just how, how can you appropriately analyze someone's motion and movement and what can you do to influence that movement for the better, um, in the presence of pain or type of dysfunction. So with my background, like, just playing a lot of different sports. Um, I think that translates well to uh, the majority of sports out there. So as a soccer player, like, and track athlete, played basketball, uh, played volleyball, um, kind of that agility and cutting translates mm-hmm. to most of those uh, lower extremity sports out there. Mm-hmm. And then um, being a uh, almost a nerd about biomechanics, um, when I got into golf, like the golf swing is the most fascinating and intricate thing out there in terms of how many moving parts there are and how many things kind of play into it. But with each of those sports activities, if you can um, kind of break down someone's movement and kind of think about uh, or generate a differential list of all the possibilities that uh, might be occurring, causing that pain or dysfunction, then mm-hmm. I think it's then from there, it's just about ruling each of those causes out and kind of narrowing that list. Um, so for me, it's just fun to do because I like a PT session is a lot more interesting when you get to see someone, I don't know, do like hang from a, a hangboard or kind of do a ladder drill or uh, kind of pitch a ball versus watching someone do a six minute walk test or mm-hmm. some of the other uh, less fun assessments that uh, us PTs can do. Uh-huh. Um, but pretty much the care, the, the method is the same, whether I'm analyzing a climber, a soccer player or a thrower mm-hmm. or a musician or anyone in between. So it's just kind of, yeah, breaking down that motion that is giving them the most problems. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I guess, not as monotonous as other population would be because you're, you're, when you're seeing different, um, athletes, you have to be in their uh, world so to speak to really mm-hmm. help them um how big or how uh, i mean i mean what do you call this because we were talking about athletes so and and getting them back to sports so how how what's the part of strength and conditioning uh play in in your intervention yeah um i think strength and conditioning um once I have that athlete up to a point where they can kind of take it to their coach or trainer mm-hmm. and they're kind of meeting all my criteria to return back to that sport, mm-hmm. then that's kind of when I leave it to that 
coach or trainer to kind of take over. And mm-hmm. there's always communication between me and that person on what that next step is for that athlete. Mm-hmm. But when we're transitioning from that athlete having initial pain mm-hmm. um, and then getting them to be able to uh, tolerate some of uh, those more sport specific movements, um, I'm kind of taking that same role as that uh, coach or trainer and you mm-hmm. need to be able to do this task to meet these demands so you can do that motion well so if it's like uh, a climber who's bouldering and they always have shoulder pain whenever they do that dyno or that dynamic move where they have to jump and catch that next hold um i'm thinking of things to uh, make that task easier so Mm -hmm. they need to have a lot of shoulder stability and scap stability and a strong rotator cuff to be able Mm -hmm. to absorb that shock they need to have a strong core for that upper uh, extremity and lower extremity to work off of. Mm-hmm. They need to have explosive legs to be able to not be so pulley with the arms when they're reaching for that uh, next hold. And they need to be able to coordinate uh, that whole system well mm-hmm. and have the balance, the dynamic balance uh, to be able to tolerate like all of that. So um, that's kind of the most exciting part for me as a mm-hmm. uh, PT working with athletes is that once you kind of solve that pain and you get to get, have, you get to get creative and fun with it. That's where I have the most fun. Is it, is it that when you were talking about, you know, that's that all that stuff, I was like, okay, there's a lot of terms there. <laughs> Not familiar <laughs> with, but is it easy? Is there an easy buy-in when you talk about those stuff oh. in, in your, with your, your clients, your patients? hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> it's like anything, like if, uh, um they know what you're talking about (laughs) exactly like uh, they're actually using the lingo and a lot of my patients that i've worked with uh that are at the the gym that i I was a part of they would see me there so it was a familiar face for them Uh so yeah it's so easy for buy-in if you can at least talk the talk Uh you don't have necessarily walk the walk but if you can talk the talk and understand Uh Uh, the lingo and again those demands that they have to go through it makes buy-in so much easier and that therapeutic alliance just goes through the roof right right so what would be your advice to um physical therapists who are thinking about going into a, a specific population or practice it may not be rock climbers but thinking about where they can excel at probably they know a sport that they want to go into uh and focus on those uh population what advice can you give them to excel in the uh, area yeah i think just coming uh coming at it from a population perspective you have to know like that population so you have to be where they're at so if you're trying to treat climbers like the best way is to have exposure to them so be part of that gym offer that gym different uh, educational series, uh, simple stuff, whether it's like uh, finger health, wrist health, health, elbow health, something injury profession wise. Um, You have to be a familiar face. You have to know kind of what you're talking about with that sport uh, and to show that you're knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. But uh, for anything, really, it's doing the basics well. So as PTs, we're movement experts. You have to be able to analyze that movement um, very well and efficiently. You have to know every single potential, um, diagnosis that might be happening. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a little background in pain science because some athletes are pretty straightforward. Other ones can be head cases and that all affects their perception of pain. 
and uh, you have to be able to know how to kind of progress that athlete to those different uh, levels based on where they're at in their stage of healing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of different things there, but I think the number one thing is just doing the basics really well. Mm-hmm. And that's what my residency training taught me. And that's what my fellowship training taught me is um, there's no really secret to it. There's no like uh, one big one system that answers all. It's just about knowing how to assess someone very well and to make sure that you're treating the right thing. Good. Um, so Oliver, thank you for coming to the podcast. We're nearing our end and uh, thank you for sharing your Uh, experience in cheating rock climbers as a rock climber yourself. I just have my last bites, my last questions. Um, It's not related to our topic anymore, but it's a question for you. Uh, So my first last bite is what's your personal recipe for success? Um, I think for me, I knew that uh, where I wanted to go and I kind of had an idea of how to get me there. So it's about recognizing that I knew I wanted to be a very uh, well-rounded orthopedic outpatient therapist. And I also wanted to, to do well at sports, but I knew I need to needed to um, have the fundamentals down. So I decided to do a residency and coming out of residency, I was like, I know a lot, but I don't think it's refined enough yet. And that's when I was like, I need to do a fellowship. Um, and that's kind of what, made me do or feel like I was really proficient, uh, with those basic, uh, assessments. So it's finding that path that you think is going to kind of get to, you know, where you need to go. You got to rec- be able to recognize kind of those different steps mm-hmm. uh, that you need to take. All right. Good. Cause there's a lot of people that they, they know where they want to, they want to go, but don't know how to go there. So for yeah, you, absolutely. what helped you or who helped you in finding that? Yeah. Way? I think you have to get to know people that are there from mm-hmm. where you want to go and kind of figure out what was their journey. So one of my residency mentors, like he was probably one of the smartest guys I've ever come across. And I asked him like, how'd you get to this? And he told me it was this fellowship program with this one person, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Carol Courtney. And I did that two years ago and kind of completely changed my practice and mm-hmm. how I assess and treat all of my patients. So it's figuring out like who is where, who's there, wherever you want to be mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out what did they do mm-hmm. and how can you kind of either replicate or at least take something from kind of their own journey. Right. Yeah, amazing. That's I like that. All right. My second last bite is um, how do you continue to sharpen your knives? Um, for yourself? me, yeah. Uh, I'm fortunate where I work is that with that, I get to do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So not only do I uh, treat patients from geriatric to adolescent to pediatric, from athletes to sedentary individuals and complex and chronic pain, um, but I get to do other things. Like I was uh, uh, a medical assessor for the U.S. Adaptive Open uh, for golf. So mm-hmm. last summer, and I do a lot of uh, classification and eligibility assessments for golfers with disabilities. Um, get to run a couple uh, or participate in a bunch of research projects. I am um, uh, a, 
adjunct faculty for the physical one of the physical therapy schools in Chicago and be around students that ask a lot of questions. And then I, I serve as a mentor for uh, Northwestern's orthopedic residency and uh, their uh, fellowship program. So it's being around individuals that kind of like mine and help push you to stay mm-hmm. sharp and kind of keep you on your game. And I think mm-hmm. that's what helps me stay sharp is that mm-hmm. uh, I have to help influence some of these like students and residents and fellows in training uh, mm-hmm. and help them grow. And that definitely keeps me uh sharp and knowledgeable i like that all right last uh last bite uh, what are the three ingredients can be uh your motto or or uh, a trait a characteristic a verse a quote or whatever that you carry with you every uh day of your life or in short what are the three ingredients that make up oliver gotcha um yeah that's a tough one even though it's about myself. Um, <laughs> I think for me, one of them is, since I did uh, two post-professional programs, one of my thoughts that my wife always jokes about me about with me is that uh, you can do anything for a year. No matter how hard it is, you can do anything for a year. So yeah, fel- fellowship's no joke. It was the hardest year of my life, but I knew it was just a year and there was an end date and I would come out better on the other side. Um, the other thing is, Another one is, I mean, you have to put in the work yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if you feel like you need to know more about something or you know where you're deficient uh, in a particular area of your practice, like you can ask people, but really no one's going to do it for you. You have to figure out what resources you're going to learn from or what path you're going to take. Mm-hmm. And then I think the third one is going back to, you just have to know how to do the basics really well. Um, there's plenty of techniques out there and different assessment methods, but if you don't know how to do the basics uh, well, everything else that stacks on top of that isn't going to go well for you. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You can do anything for a year, <laughs> put in the work, <laughs> and know the basics really well. How, yeah. how long is a, a fellowship? It's one year? Uh, it depends on the program, but mine okay. was uh, 12 months. Oh, okay. Year, yeah. And residency is a year as well? Yeah, my, both of my programs were one year. They can vary in length, but uh, both of my programs were a year. Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. Again, thank you very much, Oliver, for being in the podcast and, and at last <laughs> uh, coming over <laughs> here and sharing your experiences with us and your thoughts um, for those who are listening uh, catch the next episode of our uh, of PD Meal podcast. So yeah, uh, thank you very much. I'll see you again. Hi everyone. While I was editing the podcast, I realized that I forgot to ask Oliver uh, the, the takeaway question, which was the one that he would like you to remember from this episode. Um, so I just wanted to share what my takeaway was uh, in, in our episode. Um, if you listen carefully to what uh, Oliver uh, said in the whole conversation, uh, you'd really notice his expertise on the subject matter. But he also said that if you're not able to, if you're, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the sport or the activity or, uh, you know, uh, what the, the client is saying, as long as you got your basics 
down, you're, you'll be able to help your client or your patient. So your, your assessment, your basic movement patterns, functional assessment, and stuff like that. And my, my second takeaway here is um, if you're going to, to a niche practice, it's, it's better to go to where you're passionate about, something that you're, you're doing as well. So um, l- listening to Oliver in that whole conversation, he was saying about Dino V1 to V3 or V something, it just rolls out of his tongue. And I would, if I was a rock climber, I would really go to someone who knows how to rock climb because they are experienced in that activity as well. So I feel that they are they will be able to help me better. So same goes, like if you're, uh, we're talking about um, like other sports, um, other activities like dancing, being a um, musician and stuff like that. So there, if um, if you're going to uh, go to a niche practice or a certain population, make sure that you're familiar with the jargons, with activities, even if you're not um, engaged in that certain sport, at least you know all of the mechanics, biomechanics of that sport, of that activity, so that you'll be able to analyze, assess better, you get your fundamentals, your foundations, your your basic assessment down, then and and your your genuine um sincerity to help um your patient. Then I guess that's that's the that's the most important part of it all. Okay, so again, I'd like to thank Oliver again for for being in the podcast, and we, he's the one who reached out after two years of me of my email. So I mean, my message, um, just in his inbox, in his LinkedIn. I, I really appreciate him reaching out again and accepting my invitation. So watch out for our next episode um, next week. All right, see you again. Thank you for listening to PT Meal Podcast. If you like the show and want to support it, please follow the podcast's social media accounts in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Share the episodes you're listening to or episodes you love to listen to so that the message can reach more people. Also, if you have anything to share with everyone about the profession or your practice, do contact me and we can work something out. If you have any suggestions, feedbacks, questions about the show or the guests uh, of the show, you can reach me through all the podcast's social media accounts or through the website www.ptmealpodcast.com or through email at ptmealpodcast at gmail.com. Alright, looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Just a reminder, folks, the podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The show strives to keep all information true and correct, but humans sometimes make mistakes factual errors may be present, so we encourage the listeners to do their own research on the featured topics as well. Now, let's go back to the show.